Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Let me begin by saying I'm biased about the situation between Israel and Hamas. I am Jewish. My father was Jewish. My mother was Jewish. I am Jewish. I was by mitzvah. I was taught to sing next year in Jerusalem as a child in a synagogue. And so I will tell you right up front, I am biased. Having said that, I try to be objective. I can see the other side. And so when we enter this discussion on my podcast today, just understand I'm not blind to the criticism that I would be subjected to by all those who say, well, he's Jewish. Of course, what side do you expect him to take? But hold on just a minute. That's not true because the majority of liberal Jews in America hate Israel. They're on the side of Hamas, the Arabs, as they were on the side of the PLO and Yasser Arafat. They are the enemy within So don't assume that because I'm Jewish, I'm automatically in favor of Israel, since most Jews are not in favor of Israel. In fact, they're in favor of terrorists in America and in Israel. So having said that, I will give you my unique perspective. Have I been to Israel? Yes, twice. I almost moved to Israel. And it's important you know that. You say, well, why are you making it all about you? Since it's supposed to be at Israel, Hamas, and Gaza. Because you can get that perspective from anyone, anywhere in the news, but you can't get the personal perspective anywhere but on this podcast, meaning my perspective is my perspective. You know, it's currently fashionable to say to people when you are conversing with them and they say, oh, why are you making it all about you? My answer always is because it is about me. The only way I can understand what you are saying to me is through my own eyes, through my own experiences. So what I'm about to say to you is about me. I say that to people when I have a discussion or an argument with them. They say, oh, you're making it all about you. Let me repeat again. Yes, it's always about us. That's what makes us human. That is how we humans relate to other humans. It's through our lens, our lenses, our eyes, our experience, our heart, our minds, our soul. So everything you're about to hear in the podcast today is, of course, through my lens, through my heart, through my mind, through my experiences, and hopefully through the objectivity that I have grown up with. And so having said that, that is the beginning to this podcast today. I have been to Israel. I almost moved to Israel. I should tell you that as well. I don't think I've told you this story before, but I must tell it to you because but for the grace of an intervention that you might say was otherworldly, I would probably be in Israel today. You see, it was a long time ago. It was 1979. I had just gotten my new PhD, brand new. I was an older guy. I was in my late 30s. I had two children. I earned a very, very hard degree to earn at the University of California at Berkeley, a great research degree, but there were no jobs, you see, for white males, especially Jewish white males, in fields that were innovative at the time. 
And so I had been in correspondence with a famous professor in Israel, the top professor. In fact, he was the chancellor of Hebrew University, a great scientist himself. And he said to me, if you come to Israel after investigating my background, I can give you a fellowship for two years. And so I packed up the family and we went to visit Israel. It was 79. It was a big, big change in my life. I was going to leave California and live in Israel and be a research professor in the field of ethnomedicine. I was going to work, believe it or not, on ethnomedicine in the West Bank of all places with Arab folk healers of all things. Would you believe this? This is really true. All right. So we go to Israel. We get there and all excited about it. I'm a young man. I'm going to have a research position in Israel. All excited. I see my children. We're going to grow up in Israel. My son was eight or nine years old. My daughter was a baby, two years old. My wife was going to start a business there in the health food business. So a few nights into living there, after meeting with the professor who was going to give me my teaching job, I told the family, I told my wife, I have to be alone to think about this. And so I walked around the streets of Tel Aviv that night alone. I admit that I had a couple of beers alone in a couple of cafes alone. And as I walked on the streets of Tel Aviv, it was must have been two, three in the morning. A strange thing happened. I heard my deceased father speak to me. He had been dead nine years. And here is what he said to me. He said, Michael, I was an immigrant to America. Do you want to make your children an immigrant to a foreign country? The next day I packed up my bags and went home. I went back to America. That's how things work in my life. So now let us begin with a second intro here and go to an article that just came out in Associated Press. All the knives are out for Israel. There's another important article from Breitbart. Stunned, AP draws flack after Israel levels Gaza Bureau alleged Hamas headquarters. That appeared in, uh, in the great Breitbart.com by Joshua Klein. And they talk about the Associated Press and their chief, Julie Pace, announced she was stunned after Israeli forces bombed the Gaza building housing media offices. Now, Jerusalem claimed it was also a terrorist headquarters, housing Hamas's military intelligence, research and development unit, as well as offices of the terrorist designated Islamic Jihad. So stunned, Pace wrote on Sunday, our AP bureau in Gaza has been destroyed by an Israeli airstrike. Well, there were some responses to that including my own, and the Breitbart article cited my tweet of several days ago when this just happened where Michael Savage said, I have to go to the bottom of the article to get it. And here is what they say. Leftist propagandists at AP and Al Jazeera shocked that Israel blew up their propaganda headquarters in Gaza embedded in a housing complex, wrote longtime radio host Michael Savage. But they also quoted other people in this article that's worth repeating right now And uh, I'm going to repeat some of those things in this article, some of the tweets. Eric Bowling said, more stunning is that the building management owner is directly linked to Hamas through the government of Qatar, a major financial backer of the terror group. However, most stunning is that AP didn't mention that in your statement. (laughs) Good for him. Former acting director of national intelligence, Richard Grinnell, wrote, Americans are stunned that the AP's landlord is linked to Hamas? Really? The AP pays rent to the anonymous owner of the high-rise that housed terrorists, he continued. Why is at JPAC DC and the AP hiding the name of the owner of a front company, Hamas? Release the name, he added. It's a crime to give money to Hamas-linked individuals. The journalist Jordan Schachtel wrote, the story here isn't you being shocked and appalled, 
the story is that AP decided to rent office space from a U.S. designated terrorist organization. That's Jordan Shaktel. Daniel Schwamenthal said, who was your landlord, asked director of the AJC Transatlantic Institute. Where will the propaganda come from now, wrote political commentator Joey Jones, right? Journalist Jerry Dunlavey wrote, the IDF, that's the Israel Defense Forces, says that the building housing the AP and other outlets also contain Hamas military intelligence, right? Is the IDF right or wrong about this? Seems irrelevant, right? Why was the AP sharing office space with terrorists, asked their radio host, after mocking the hypocrisy of critics? Arthur Schwartz, a political strategist, said no one believes that Israel targeted AP. Who were you sharing space with and who were you paying rent to? They didn't narrowly avoid anything. They were warned in advance by IDF, he added. Now I ask AP why they were sharing office space with Hamas. Author jo- Joel Engel said, Julie's Dilemma. Do we admit we knew we were in the same building as Hamas? Or do we try to explain why so many allegedly insightful journalists missed what was literally right under our noses? See, so not everybody is, is that gullible right here. Journalist David Ifuni said, the ad AP insisted it had no indication that it was sharing its Gaza headquarters with Hamas. These are journalists we're talking about. Hard-nosed journalists. He added, I'm not sure how anyone's supposed to trust their reporting from the region again. <laughs> good, for, good for you. Okay. And others, others saw through it. Syndicated columnist Josh Hammer said, why exactly does the AP even have a bureau in a territory run by an internationally recognized terrorist group? So now let's go to more Israel news on the uh, Savage podcast. And as I keep talking, you will see that there's a lot more Israel news. So let's go to michaelsavage.com. For those of you who hate Jews and hate Israel and think that the Palestinians are all victims and wonderful people, uh, there are two sides to every story, your side and my side. So here's my side. Israel Defense Forces Command suspects children in the vicinity, calls off an airstrike. Ask occasional cortex if she'll report on that in the halls of Congress. Missile multinational. Iran's new approach to missile proliferation. See, Iran is behind all of this. The mullahs, the sacred vermin with the holy robes in Iran, the hateful theocracy. All of you vermin on the left here in America who hate religion, hate Christians, hate Jews. Somehow you have nothing to say about the vermin who run Iran and are trying to poison the entire earth. How is that? You love that theocracy, you left-wing morons, you? You can thank Biden for this. You can thank Kerry for this. You can thank voting for our Democrats for this. That's why this is all happening. Meanwhile, a convoy drove through London shouting, F the Jews and rape their daughters. Did that offend you at all? No, that was not offensive to you? Or why not? Because you didn't hear about it by Associated Press that was hiding in a Hamas-controlled building. I love AP is paying rent to Hamas, and they don't know who the landlord is. People have been filmed driving through London in a convoy of cars shouting anti-Semitic obscenities. One of the passengers yelled, F the Jews raped their daughters through a loudspeaker as they drove through residential areas largely inhabited by Jewish people. Video was filmed in Finchley Road, St. John's Wood, near a Jewish community center with the Muslim man claiming we have to send the message. The cars carrying Palestinian flags are understood to have then driven towards central London to continue their rally. And of course, the housing minister, Robert Jarek, said this was terrible, but they did nothing about it. As you well understand, London has become Londonistan, and there's no hope for the once great England because Churchill 
is dead. This is the Savage Nation. More to come in a few minutes right here on the issues we are discussing on the Savage Nation. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Have you become a victim of the timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well, Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over 35,000 families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares, and they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over 10 years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to iCancelTimeshare.com. That's iCancelTimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time, iCancelTimeshare.com. Thank you very much. iCancelTimeshare.com. I mean, I think it's really important to understand Israel is a racist state uh, and that they would uh, deny um, Palestinians like my grandmother access to a vaccine, that they don't believe that she's an equal human being that deserves to live, deserves to be able to be protected by this global pandemic. Um, and, and it's really hard to watch as this apartheid state continues to uh, deny their own neighbors, uh, the people that breathe the same air they breathe. But what about Congress? Where do they stand on Israel? Are they still on the side of Israel or are they on the side of the Hamas terrorists under Biden? Hatred for Israel is being spread through lies and conspiracy theories by the vermin on the left who hate America, hate the military, hate white people. And those would be reps, Alexandria Occasional Cortex, mentally ill Omar, Rashida Talab, Andre Carson, and Jamal Bowman, who are putting out dangerous disinformation about the so-called uh, violence against the Arabs by the Israelis. There's a great article on this by Aaron Kliegman in the New York Daily News that I will liberally quote from. Uh, right now on the podcast and basically he says what these are doing these people the ones who are poisoning the world against America calling us a racist nation are now poisoning public opinion against the Jewish state and against Jews and in fact Omar Talab and Carson released a statement suggesting that Israel instigated the violence by assaulting Al-Aqsa a Muslim holy site during Ramadan but it actually started a month ago when Palestinian state media initiated broadcasting messages inciting violence and Palestinian youth like our subway youth with knives started attacking unsuspecting Jews, filming their exploits and posting them to social media. Does it sound familiar? OK, so the tensions increase, police presence increases, and yet the Palestinian Authority continues to encourage the riots, hoping the escalation would continue. And then it did. So weapons such as rocks, firebombs, and fireworks were all used at Jerusalem's holy sites and against Israeli police who intervened to stop the violence. And then the Palestinians claim that the Jews were trying to capture Al-Aqsa. 
which is a blood libel that dates back decades, going back to Yasser Arafat and even before him, who used it as a pretext to launch the Second Intifada. Now, let me intervene here or digress for a moment. I've been at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. I remember when I visited Israel in 1979, one of the sites I wanted to visit was the Wailing Wall. So I said to my hosts who were, you know, Israelis who had been born there and fought in many of their wars, I can't wait to go to the Wailing Wall. And one of them, a very keen scholar, said, why go to that? It's a remnant and rubble of the Holy Temple. It's nothing. I said, what? He said, go on top of the Wailing Wall and you will see the real site to see, which is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. I said, what is that? He said, a mosque was built on the rubble of the original temple, the holy temple of Jerusalem by the Arabs. After they conquered Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and then they built a mosque on top of it. So, my friends, that's what Al-Aqsa Mosque is. It's called a Muslim holy site, but in fact, what it is, a, a Jewish holy site, on top of which a, a, a mosque was built. See, everything the Muslims have is a holy site. That's how it works. You've heard that before. So the lie is that the Jews were trying to capture Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is not true. It's then repeated by these vermin in Congress. Then Hamas in Gaza enters the fray and starts to fire rockets at Israel, killing innocent civilians, destroying schools. And in retaliation, Israel launches airstrikes at Hamas targets. That's the genesis of this current round of violence in the Middle East. And yet, Omar, Talab, and Carson inverted this cause and effect in their statement, which is this. These vermin who hate America said, today the Israeli military launched airstrikes into Gaza, killing 20 people, including nine children. And Hamas then fired rockets into Israel. So as Aaron Kliegman of the New York Daily News says, notice how the language is carefully crafted to make it appear as if Israel fired first and targeted children and that Hamas simply responded out of self-defense. And so these vermin in the halls of Congress who hate America, hate everything about this country, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Occasional Cortex, and the others, found an audience in the halls of Congress and then spread it to AP and others. And the situation in Gaza can be boiled down to Israeli airstrikes, by the way, were in retaliation to Hamas firing rockets against Israel. And as I speak to you, a senior Hamas official is even urging the people of Jerusalem to cut off the heads of the Jews and humiliate the Jewish state. And, wait, to top it off, Muslims now around the world are driving around with loudspeakers and cars saying, kill the Jews. Thank you, occasional cortex. Thank you, Rashida Tlaib. Thank you, Andre Carson. Thank you, Rep. Jamal Bowman. Thank Ilham Omar for spreading this toxic poison throughout the world. You should have been thrown in jail when Trump had the power. That's one man's opinion. I'm Michael Savage. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. I want to read something a mother named Iman in Gaza wrote two days ago. She said, quote, tonight I put the kids to sleep in our bedroom so that when we die, we die together. And no one would live to mourn the loss of another one. The statement broke me a little more because of 
My country's policies and funding will deny this mother's right to see children live, her own children live without fear and to grow old without painful trauma and violence. We must condition aid to Israel on compliance with international human rights and end the apartheid. We must, with no hesitation, demand that our country recognize the unconditional support of Israel has enabled the erasure of Palestinian life and the denial of the rights of millions of refugees. All right, what's really going on in Gaza? This came to me from a friend in Gaza. I stand behind this post 100%. I suggest that everyone who is not Israeli reads and listens to this immediately to hear what is really going on in Gaza. If you want to read it, go to michaelsavage.com. Here it is. I've been quiet, quiet from the shelter because I cannot face the hatred and the vile anti-Semitism that rears its ugly head every time there is a war. Gaza, poor, poor Gaza, which claimed Israel kept the vaccine from their population, that Israel starved and killed children, that Israel is a colonizer, apartheid nation. And they said, do not send in police to Jerusalem. Do not try to maintain order or we will bomb your cities. We will bomb the whole country. Bomb a country over a legal dispute about unpaid rent from property bought in 1875? What? Also, we pay our bills to the Israel Electric Corp every month. But in poor Gaza, they don't pay theirs. Israeli citizens subsidize their power so they can make bombs and tunnels to terrorize Israeli citizens. Think about that for a second. We subsidize the terror they rain down upon us. Poor Gaza, with no food, no fuel, no power, no vaccines. Poor Gaza, except with enough money to buy and launch 700 missiles with thousands more stockpiled for tomorrow or the next day. Did you know each one costs $45,000 in U.S. dollars? So the war that you are seeing costs them $31,500,000. Where'd they get the money from? But poor Gaza, with no schools and no new hospitals, but with resources to build advanced tunnels, terror attack tunnel systems stretching miles deep into Israel. Cost of the tunnels, estimated $150 million U.S. dollars. Poor Gaza, kept from developing from air travel, from running their own country as they wish. Well, poor Gaza today sent 700 missiles at Israeli citizens, burned thousands of acres of crops and food with terror balloons filled with explosives, and launched multiple cyber attacks around the world. Oh, and targeted a civilian airport, which is now closed. Israel has one airport. We are now all stuck here together. Poor Gaza fired at an airport filled with civilian flights on purpose. Poor Gaza, who will not feed their own children with the trucks of aid paid for and delivered by the state of Israel and her citizens that arrive every day while claiming to the world she is starving. Instead, Hamas leaders are billionaires, and Biden just promised billions more. Poor Gaza, where children are forced to martyr themselves for Hamas leadership, who couldn't give a rat's ass if those same kids live or die. Poor Gaza. Someone please help the dozen people. We have tried for 40 years, but they're corrupt leaders. Non-existent desire for peace and inability to gain control of their extremist elements leaves us here. We have no war in our hearts. We want peace and security and quiet borders for everyone. We seek to destroy nothing, to kill no one. We don't want land and, in fact, keep giving it away in exchange for promised peace. What horrible conquering nation of colonizers does that? You will not hear a true Zionist screaming death to all Arabs or kill the Muslim. But every day that is the call to kill all the Jews 
any way you can find us, using whatever means necessary. Today, the call from the sacred holy mosques was that we should be beheaded using whatever means necessary, wherever we can be found. I am tired and angry, frankly, at the world for literally throwing us to the wolves. You, Jews, go over there, back to where you came from. We really do not want you here, or there, or anywhere. Oh, wait, you went there to that wasteland of nothingness, to that place you came from. Hang on, we've reconsidered. The UN has unilaterally decided you should not be there either. When you support groups singing from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I beg you to look at a freaking map. What river and what sea? The only river is the Jordan, and the only sea is the Mediterranean. So where does that leave the Jews? It leaves us absolutely nowhere. Floating dead in the Mediterranean, I guess. And so we come to the real crux of the issue, I think. We are tolerated maybe for a time, perhaps. But for 2,000 years we have wandered after being exiled from Israel. Always hated, always persecuted, always unwanted. And so let's just get real. There are just 13 million Jews left in the entire world. And most folks, maybe even you, honestly wish there were none. Yes, little Israel is home to just 7 million Jews. Little Israel is home to a total of 9.5 million people. Little Israel is nine miles wide at some points, and in 1948, when it was established, it was a barren wasteland of nothingness that no one wanted, and everyone assumed would be a place those damn Jewish refugees from the death camps of Germany and Poland would go to quietly suffer, and maybe, if the world was lucky, would be attacked by all of the Arab armies, lose and die. Only we didn't. Only we brought water and irrigation and drained the swamps and got rid of the malaria and disease and made this little strip of nothing flourish, a modern-day miracle. And that right there is the real problem. We weren't supposed to still be here. So yes, I will show the video of the latest barrage of Iranian missiles smuggled into Gaza, thrown at our families, 205 minutes from poor, poor Gaza. And I'll tell you that fighting terror should be something everyone cares about, but you won't. And I accept it is just the way it is and will always be. And poor Gaza is all our fault because before the disengagement, we didn't do enough to help them. And now that we destroyed 17 Israeli thriving communities and handed over our farms and infrastructure and industry and left Gaza in exchange for peace, we haven't done enough either. We haven't lost enough soldiers or received enough missiles or given enough aid. Or I don't even know, but clearly those damn Jews are horrible baby killers just by nature of the fact we left Gaza to the Gazans just as everyone asked us to. Only now you've decided that was somehow wrong or not enough. Well, who even knows anymore? I can tell you why, though, is because the Jews are living and thriving here, even in the face of every obstacle, even when hit with 700 missiles in a single day. But let's get real. No one really ever wanted us to be anywhere at all. That's a report from Gaza. That's what's really going on. Open your eyes before it's you next. I'm Michael Savage. Thanks for listening to the Savage Nation podcast. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. And now, we hear how bad the Jews treat the poor, suffering Palestinians. But how are Palestinians treated by other Arab countries and why? Oh, don't turn the podcast off. You don't want to know the truth? How are Palestinians treated by other Arab countries is something you know nothing about because of vermin in the media. Do you know that the Palestinians in Lebanon have never been recognized by a Lebanese government as having equal rights? Why? They say because the PLO was involved in fighting in the Lebanese civil war, 
something that angered various political groups in the country. In Lebanon, Palestinian refugees, they're still refugees, pass on their refugee status to their own children. Did you know Palestinians are not allowed to work in academic professions and are worse paid than Lebanese with the same qualifications? Now, the Lebanese side has always officially justified this exclusion with the argument that a complete integration of the refugees in Lebanon would make it harder for them to return home. Yeah, really. So while the U.S., for example, would like to see the Palestinian refugees settle permanently in Lebanon, Lebanon does not want them. There are other stories that need to be told about how Palestinians are treated in Lebanon. They themselves say the world has forgotten us. According to the website DW.com, things are getting harder and harder for displaced Palestinians in Lebanon. One reason is the chronic underfinancing of the U.N. agency responsible for them. Here in the camp, people don't stick that strictly to the coronavirus measures, says Khalud Hussein as she shrugs her shoulders. There are just as many people out in the streets as there always are. Khalud Hussein has lived her whole life in the Palestinian refugee camp in Barajna, in the south of the Lebanese capital, Beirut. She works as an English translator and a project coordinator in a local woman's organization. Until fairly recently, she had to go to the Haifa hospital several days a week to translate for a team of doctors from the Japanese Red Cross. But since the start of the pandemic, the doctors haven't been coming anymore. Now she works at home translating studies and surveys more to worry about than COVID. I can tell you more about it, but the fact of the matter is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East, UNRWA, which is responsible for the Palestinian refugees in the 12 official camps in Lebanon, is doing very little. This is because Lebanon does not accept any costs for the Palestinians. Did you know that? But the UN organization frequently becomes a point of political interests as happened, for example, when former U.S. President Donald Trump withdrew financing from the agency and made a dent in its finances to the tune of $300 million. His successor, Joe the Quisling Biden, has announced he will commence payments again. The main criticism leveled at the UNRWA is that by looking after 5.7 million Palestinians in the region, it creates incentives for them not to integrate in other Arab countries so that they remain permanent refugees instead. Moreover, the money that Biden just gave to this group, how much of it will be used to create rockets and tunnels rather than take care of its own people? If the past is a predictive of what the present and the future will be, most of the money will be diverted to making war, not peace. And now to America, a land of milk and honey being destroyed from within by Biden and his quizzling government, erasing our borders, language, and culture while destroying our currency. Here is something, a quote from Sheikh Rashid, called, Never a True Word Was Spoken. The founder of Dubai, Sheikh Rashid, was asked about the future of his country, and here is what he replied. My grandfather rode a camel. My father rode a camel. I ride a Mercedes. My son rides a Land Rover, and my grandson is going to ride a Land Rover, but my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. Why is that, he was asked, and his reply was, Hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. And add to that the historical reality that all great empires, the Persians, the Trojans, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, and in later years, the British, 
all rose and perished within 240 years. Each rotted from within. America has now passed that 240-year mark, and the rot is visible all around us and now accelerating quickly. We are past the Mercedes and Land Rover years, and the camels are in our yards. And 75 million Americans demonstrated last November by voting for Biden that they know nothing of history and or think we should all be riding camels. That's a quote from Sheikh Rashid, and never a truer word was spoken. I'm Michael Savage. Thanks for listening. Share this with others while you still can. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. As the war in the Middle East has raged, anti-Semitism, historical revisionism has thrived. So let's begin with some facts. How many of you know about the Jewish refugees from Arab countries, meaning the aftermath of the 1948 Israeli War of Independence? What happened to the Jewish people in the various Arab states of the Middle East? In 1945, there were roughly a million Jews living peacefully in these various Arab states of the Middle East, in communities that had existed for thousands of years. Then what happened? The Arabs reject the UN decision to partition Palestine and to create a Jewish state. And then the Jews of the Arab lands become targets of their own government's anti-Zionist fervor. One million Jews in Muslim countries were jeopardized by the creation of the state of Israel. So what happened then? Throughout 1947 and 48, Jews in Algeria, Egypt, Iraq, Libya, Morocco, Syria, and Yemen were persecuted. Their property and belongings stolen, subjected to severe anti-Jewish riots instigated by the governments. In Iraq, Zionism was made a capital crime as it is today in the Democrat Party. In Syria, anti-Jewish pogroms erupted in Aleppo. The government froze all Jewish bank accounts. In Egypt, bombs were set off in the Jewish quarter, killing dozens of Jews. In Algeria, anti-Jewish decrees were instituted, and in Yemen, bloody pogroms led to the death of nearly 100 Jews. Then what happened? Between 800,000 and a million Jews in the Middle East and North Africa, exclusive of Palestine, became endangered of destruction at the hands of Muslims who were incited to a holy war over the partition of Palestine through acts of violence. But it got worse. The Jews of the Arab world fled their homes as refugees. Now listen to the numbers. You know all about the Palestinian refugees, but you know nothing about the Jewish refugees. Of the 820,000 Jewish refugees between 1948 and 1972, more than 200,000 found refuge in Europe and North America, while 586,000 were resettled in Israel at great cost to the Israeli government without any compensation from the Arab governments who had stolen the Jewish people's possessions, their land and their possessions. The majority of the Jewish refugees were forced to leave their homes penniless, destitute, and with nothing more than the shirts on their backs. Did you know any of this? So Israel became a new country, independent country. The Arabs wanted to wipe it off the map. But meanwhile, 
the value of Jewish property that was left behind and confiscated by the Arab governments was never, ever accounted for. It's estimated to be at least 50% higher than the total value of assets lost by the Palestinian refugees. I can give you the details about the millions and the hundreds of millions and the billions. It won't matter. All you've got to know is that nearly today, nearly half of Israel's native population descends from the Jewish refugees of the Arab world, of the Arab world who were kicked out when Israel was formed. So look at the countries, look at the Jewish population in these Arab countries in 1948, Algeria, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, Libya, Morocco, Syria, Tunisia, Yemen, and, and such. And you'll see in 1948, the Jewish population in these countries was about 851,000 Jewish people. In 2018, the number of Jewish people in these countries, Algeria, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, Libya, Morocco, Syria, Tunisia, Yemen, and Aden, 3,330. Did you know any of this? Did you know that Jewish settlement, for example, in Algeria, can be traced back to the first centuries B.C.? First centuries B.C. They were there. And then they were kicked out. Nearly all of the Algerian Jews fled the country shortly after it gained independence from France in 1962. The newly established Algerian government harassed the Jewish community, stole Jewish property, and deprived Jews of their principal economic rights. Did you know any of this? There are now fewer than 100 Jews in Algeria, no functioning synagogues in the nation. And this is in a nation where the Jewish presence can be traced back to the first century BCE. A similar story will be told about Egypt. 1948, 75,000 Jews, 2018, 100 Jews. Jews lived in Egypt since biblical times. Israelite tribes first moved to the land of Goshen, the northeastern ridge of the Nile Delta, during the reign of the Egyptian pharaoh Amihotep IV. By 1897, there were more than 25,000 Jews in Egypt, mainly in Cairo and Alexandria. But then something happened. What happened was, after the establishment of the State of Israel, the Jewish people were kicked out of Egypt. They were forced to leave the country. And uh, they were allowed to take only one suitcase, a small amount of cash, and forced to sign declarations donating their property to the Egyptian government. Did you know any of this? You didn't know any of this. A similar story can be told in Iraq, in Libya, in Morocco, in Syria, in Tunisia, in Yemen. I can tell the story if you would like, but you can read it for yourself. 1948. Let's look at one country amongst that list for you to make some uh, sense out of. So when you hear about the plight of the Palestinian refugees, who are still living, by the way, there, while the Jews are not living in these countries because they were kicked out in their possessions and land stolen, try to equate that and understand how the Jewish people who live in Israel see the world and why they're willing to fight for their lives, unlike Americans who are not willing to fight for their land and their borders, language, and culture. I'll give you one other example, small example, Morocco, beautiful country. 1948, Jews were living in Morocco since the time of antiquity, uh, traveling there two millennia ago with Phoenician traders. The first Jewish settlements developed in 586 BCE after Jerusalem had been destroyed and the Jews exiled. And so after World War II, the Jewish population of Morocco had grown to the height of approximately 265,000 people. Then what happened? 
June of 1948, bloody riots in Morocco killed 44 Jews while wounding scores more. An economic boycott was instigated against the Moroccan Jewish community. By 1959, Zionist activities were made illegal. And in 1963, at least 100,000 Jews from Morocco were forced out from their homes and nearly 150,000 Jews sought refuge in America, France, and Israel. How do you like that? And so my friends who are listening to this podcast, try to understand what is going on in the Middle East before espousing a half-baked, half-brained knowledge of people who've been running from violence and theft all their lives. And I will tell you more about what's going on politically with regard to this situation. And I really summarized it in my mind quite simply on Twitter uh, a few days ago in the following way. I mean, it's very simple. That is this. Here is what I tweeted. If you knew anything about the history of the Middle East, you would know that 600,000 Jews were deported from North African nations when Israel was, was reformed. Many had been there for hundreds of years, their land and assets stolen by Arabs. You should see the hatred that came from the leftists around the world and from the Muslim haters. A little later, I tweeted this. Trump brought peace between the Arabs and Jews. Trump brought peace between the Arabs and Jews. Now, remember, Trump moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. You would have thought there would have been riots and war. There was no war and riots. No war, no riots. Four months, five months, four months after Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, and the Democrat criminals are in power, and we have war and death in the Middle East. Ladies and gentlemen, I rest my case. I'm Michael Savage on the Savage Podcast. about the situation between Israel and Hamas. I am Jewish. My father was Jewish. My mother was Jewish. I am Jewish. I was by mitzvah. I was taught to sing next year in Jerusalem as a child in a synagogue. And so I will tell you right up front, I am biased. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure. So you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.